you a little personal history. Uh, beautiful wife named Brenda, who's here somewhere, and three kids, JJ, Austin, and Selby. Selby's on the camera. And she's given me strict instructions that I have to not move around much, and I need to stay in the middle of the podium. So I'll, I'll try to do that as much as I can. Uh, a little history about myself and Vernon. We, Vernon and I actually go way back, 22, 23 years ago. I was a youth and young adult pastor uh, here in town. Uh, when Vernon uh, answered the call that God gave him to come back from Virginia, back to Sarasota, and plant the church that we now stand in today, well, that we are part of. Uh, that was a long time ago. Vernon and I realized real quick that we were very similar in our hearts. Um, there was an instant connection there, and um, church leadership is hard, you know. Uh, give Vernon a little plug. He's not here this morning, and he might be watching he did not ask me to say this. <laughs> church leadership's hard, and especially long-term church lead- leadership is hard. 20-something years um, to have a thriving church, growing, and to see what's going on in our church is really amazing. Um, that takes a lot of commitment, a lot of fortitude, and just vision, and um, he deserves to be commended for that. In fact, he actually texted me this morning. It was so kind. He texted me this morning and said, good luck. He said, I could share whatever's on my heart. Just share your heart and tell us a little bit about middle school. And this morning he texted me and he said, hey, good luck. God be with you. And uh, a couple other things I wanted to say about him is he's uh, brilliant, smart, um, and maybe the best golfer I've ever been around. So, yeah, just a few other things to add to what I said about Vernon. That's all a joke. He didn't text me or anything like that. So, anyway. Um, in middle school, I'll give you a little insight. First of all, I'm part of a really great team that's scattered out here a little bit. Renee and Kelly and Royce, Mike and Jonathan, hoping to add more people to that if we need to. Um, we keep it pretty simple. We're not too complicated. Um, we just try to love kids, try to be relevant, try to inspire them. Um, parents, I'm going to brag on your kids a little bit. Um, this is a special group of kids. Uh, some of them sitting right up front. So thank you, Zion. Thank you. So they might be here just to heckle me. I don't know if that, if they're up front just to do that, but I feel warm because of that. Anyway, we try to be relevant. We try to have the right amount of fun and we want to help families lay a spiritual foundation, um, You know, kids, I was in youth ministry 20-something years ago, and I said back then, our high schoolers, man, they are having to deal with things and make decisions. They're exposed to things that I was never exposed to in high school. They, 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 it was hard growing up then. Let me tell you guys, it's now our middle schoolers. Our middle schoolers are facing things and having to make decisions and seeing things in life that they shouldn't have to see and deal with. So we're happy to be there, and I'm happy they let an old guy like me hang out with them. Um, Like I said, we try to inspire, and I end up being more inspired almost always. I'll give you a real quick example. Um, We meet uh, on Wednesday nights in the impact room, which is the furthest back room where they have worship, and there's cool lights, and it gets dark, and we got loud music and everything else. And no joke, we turn the worship music up about as loud as it'll go. I'm kind of afraid we might like 
Royce keeps saying, turn it up, turn it up. We turn it up about as loud as it'll go. And it never fails. I hear the kids singing over the top of it. Never, I mean, it gives me goosebumps every week. That's the kind of kids we have. Um, we're so so thankful. You guys are great. We love you guys. Uh, another little uh, fun fact. Um, I've been involved in youth ministry for 20-some years, and about 22 years ago, I married a couple that's actually part of our church today, and now I have their son in middle school. And I've been wrestling with that one, trying to figure out how that makes me feel. Um, old, for sure, uh, but you know, kind of cool, kind of cool in the same way. And um, I won't call them out. Andrea, I won't call you out or you and Brent in front of anybody to let, let everybody know. But uh, just fun little fact. So today, um, I've been reading in John. And I've been reading in John for about the last, for a few weeks now. And Vernon called me about three weeks ago and he said, hey, John, do you mind preaching on, on Sunday the 10th? And I said, no, that'd be great. I said, yeah, I said, what do you want? And he said, you just speak from your heart. Shed a little bit of light on middle school and just speak from your heart. And I said, okay, great. And I was reading in John, and something just hit me differently. Something just hit me differently. So before we get into that, uh, every Wednesday in middle school, before we uh, start into worships at the very beginning, we pray, and we have all the middle school kids, we all raise our hand. And we raise our hand while we're praying, telling God we're going to give him our best. Because when, when we give God our best, He never fails to show up. When we go to Him, He never turns us down. So I'm going to ask you guys to, I'm going to pray before we get deep into this. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just like we do in middle school. Raise your hands and we're going to pray. Dear God, we give you our best this morning. Lord, we know that you have something for us. Lord, we love the fact that you desire to be in our presence uh, and Lord, we welcome you here. Lord, I pray that our eyes and our ears and our minds would be open to hear what you have to say. Our best is yours in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so have you ever been really, really thirsty? I mean, really thirsty. Imagine you've been working outside all day. It's mid-90s. Humidity's crazy high. There's no clouds. Sun's beating down. Sunburn starts to set in. Your mouth is getting dry. Your tongue's sticking to the roof of your mouth. And start, you're just getting exhausted. I mean, we've all been there, sort of, right? Now, how good is a cold drink of water? How good has that been, right? You're on that, that, that day that you've been the most thirsty you've ever been. That happened to me yesterday. I was working outside in the morning, and I got thirsty. I thought, oh, I'm almost done. I'll keep going. I came inside, and I was, I was thirsty. And I chugged two glasses of water, and I'll tell you that, that was the greatest thing. So as I'm, as I'm reading through John, the word thirst just kept coming up to me. It just kept coming up. So you think about that day that you've been the most thirsty. Now you visualize that. How many of you want to go to the drinking fountain right now and to take care of that? <laughs> right? Okay, here's some quick facts about our human body and water. Are there any doctors or nurses or anything, anybody in here that can refute what I might say? Because I looked it up on the internet. We know the internet's always right. So, okay. 
Uh, okay, 50 to 75% of our body is water. So I figure anything that's half or three quarters of who I am is probably important. Seems important. Water helps your body regulate temperature, digest food. It cushions your brain and bones. I didn't know that. It helps keep your joints working smoothly. It's good for your skin and the cells of your body. Okay? Pretty good stuff, right? Dehydration. This is very technical. Dehydration sets in when you lose more water than you take in. That wasn't really that technical. <laughs> okay. So... Some causes of water loss in your everyday life. One is breathing. When we exhale, we're breathing out. We're losing water. Physical activity increases our loss. Sweating, heat, or high temperature environment. All things that can make our body lose the water that we have. Normal adults need eight, approximately eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day just to maintain the, the water that they lose. Have you ever had anybody tell you that? Did you have your eight glasses of water today? At three to 5% water loss in your body, dehydration begins. Here are some signs of physical dehydration. One of them is thirst. If you're thirsty, your body's saying, I need a drink. I need some water. Fatigue, dizziness, it can, can, it can decrease your alertness or decrease your ability to focus. It can cause disorientation. It can make you irritable, cranky, or anxious. So hang on to those thoughts as we move through here. That's our physical dehydration. Water's important. Regular drinking is critical. So we're going to get into John. We're going to go chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 7, and pieces of that. And they're kind of familiar, familiar passages, and they caught me differently this time, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Chapter 4, we're looking at the story of the woman at the well. I would say a high percentage of us have heard this story at least once in our life. Chapter 6, we're looking at Jesus' interaction with his disciples right as the Feast of Tabernacle was upon the children of Israel. And chapter 7, we're looking at when Jesus addresses his disciples, or addresses everyone, on the last day of the feast. So let's talk about what the Feast of Tabernacles is. This is really important. Number one, it's established, it was established by God through Moses in Numbers 29. It's also called the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, where they actually gathered and built temporary shelters or booths, signifying their time in the wilderness. In other words, that's they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, moving from place to place and building these temporary shelters. So during the Feast of Tabernacles, the children of Israel would come together and they would build these temporary shelters and they would live in them for seven days while they went through that celebration. There was a, it was a seven-day celebration. And ironically, the time of year that it occurred is late September to mid-October, which is like right now, which is really cool. This takes us to number one in your notes to fill in the blank. The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God's provision. It was a reflection of their gratefulness. They had spent 40 years wandering in the, in the wilderness and God provided their every need every day in a supernatural way. Starting when he parted the Red Sea so they could escape the Egyptians. And as they wandered in the wilderness, he gave them bread from heaven called manna, and he gave them water out of a rock. 
So what happened was, is the children of Israel were grumbling about not having enough to drink. And they went to Moses, said, we're thirsty. What are you going to do about it? Moses went to God. God said, take your staff, go over there and hit that rock. And when he did, water came out of it. Water from the rock. Pretty cool when you think about it. Water from the rock of our salvation, right? Okay, so not only did they get water from the rock, but God for 40 years caused their clothes not to wear out. For real. For 40 years, they wore the same clothes. Now, I don't know what that smelled like, but for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out. And as I'm thinking, I'm tying this all into this part of John, which we're going to do in just a second. It struck me, what a great idea for us to intentionally gather, celebrate, and worship God's provision. We don't probably do that enough. You know, we focus on being blessed and all kinds of things. But how, how many times do we just tell God we're so grateful for provision? Provision is pretty cool. This week I was talking to Steve and I said, hey, Steve, what songs are you doing this week? Uh, he said something and something and the other ones. But the one that stuck to me was we're singing this new song called Where I'm Standing Now. I'd never heard it before. It's probably been out for a year. And uh, I had never heard it before, but I, on my way home, I played it. No joke, I've listened to it probably a hundred times this week. And I don't know if that's an exaggeration, you can ask my family, because it's on all the time. Wake up in the morning, I put that song on. Ties really, really well into what we're talking about here. And I'll read the first line of the song. Out of the wilderness, into your deliverance, look where I'm standing now. That's what the children of Israel were doing in the Feast of Tabernacles. They were like, out of the wilderness you provided. You protected us. You gave us everything we needed. Look where we're standing now. What did God do? He delivered them into the promised land. Right? Look where I'm standing now. That's kind of what they were saying. Okay. So we're going to start in chapter 4. And I'm, your, your notes uh, start in chapter 10. I'm going to back it up to verse 3, just for bonus points. It's kind of like buy one, get one. And uh, reading in verse 3. So he, Jesus, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, verse 4. The New King James Version says he needed to go through Samaria. Hang on to that word for just a second. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? See, she was thinking about her task for the day. She was thinking about what was in front of her. She's at the well. 
She had come there in the middle of the day with these water jars, and her job was to gather water, to get water, put in the jars, and take it back. And that's all that she was thinking about. But Jesus pressed her and kept going. In verse 13, Jesus answered, Anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about the well coming out of the water. But whoever, circle whoever, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring. The New King James Version says, fountain of water welling up to eternal life, salvation. Now, why is this important? Well, one, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't associate with, or is, Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, so it was a little bit odd. Number two in your notes is a quenched spiritual thirst is for everyone. So we go back into the passage and it says, whoever drinks the water, that means everybody. This was not just an invitation to the Samaritan woman. This was an invitation to the world. And how is this important? This was, he was laying it out. This was not an accidental encounter. Go back to verse four, where the New King James Version says, Jesus needed to go through Samaria. He needed to because he had a job to do. He knew he needed to go there. He had an encounter scheduled with this woman at the well. And this was the introduction to salvation. He was laying out the groundwork right here. This was not an accident. He goes on in that passage in in verses 15 and 19. He begins to tell her everything that he should not know about her. Her personal life, how many husbands she's had and everything else. She, so she gets the idea that he's just not a normal guy. She saw him as a prophet. And she says to Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking you to, I am he. And in verse 28, then leaving her water jar, super important right there, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I did Could this be the Messiah? So let's get our arms around that. Jesus goes, he has an encounter with her. She wasn't quite getting it. He revealed himself to her. He did it in a miraculous way, telling her things that no one else would know but her. Now she knows he's not just a normal guy. He tells her, I'm the Messiah. And what does she do? She left her water jars. She left them right there. She dropped everything she was doing. That was the reason she was at the well, was to fill the jars and go back to town. And she dropped everything. She left the water jars there and she went to town to tell everyone. See, she got in the presence of Jesus. It was undeniable. She knew who he was. That became the most important thing to her at that moment. She goes to town to tell everyone. She dropped everything. The other thing was, He told her intimate things about her. I can imagine her saying, he knows me. I I didn't just meet him, but he knows me. Intimately knows me. So many came from town. They listened to Jesus for a period of time. They asked him to stay. He stayed two days with them in Sychar and was teaching. Speaking. Doesn't really tell us what happened there, but you can imagine when people got Jesus present, it wasn't like a normal day. In verse 42, these are the people from town. 
They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You better believe it. There wasn't a doubt in their mind. They had spent time in his presence. He was speaking into their life, no doubt. Why did it ring so true with them? We all have a natural thirst. We have a natural thirst that only faith in Jesus can quench. Our world's pretty thirsty, guys. Okay, let's dig a little bit deeper. Six and seven, chapter six, verse 28. The disciples then asked him, what, was, what must we do to do the work that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who, who he has sent, and so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, so we're in the kind of that groove of the Feast of Tabernacles. So they're thinking about it. They're getting ready to celebrate God's deliverance from the wilderness but they're in Jesus' presence, said, are you going to give us a sign? And I'm thinking, there's got to be signs every day, every minute. But they were still thinking they, got, they want to see a sign. I think sometimes we're that way. Jesus said to, him, said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and get, does what? Gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So here we got that analogy again of being thirsty. But what was Jesus really telling them? They're gathering for the Feast of Tabernacles. They're looking at their, their deliverance out of the wilderness. Jesus was telling them he's really the ultimate provision. He's the ultimate fulfillment for what they're celebrating. They're getting ready to celebrate God's provision and Jesus saying, I'm it. I'm it. It's almost like he was saying, well, that was then. This is now. And he goes on to say what life is going to be like because, he, because of the sacrifice that he was about to give. In chapter 7, on the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So this is another, this is like a notch up the ladder a little bit. He wasn't just talking about eternal life, and he wasn't talking about God's provision to him providing their needs. Now he's talking about what's going to happen when he goes away. He's talking about, and he's introducing to us, right after number three on your, on your notes, to fill in. Guys, be spiritual refreshment to a thirsty world. That's really what he's called us to. See, Jesus was introducing to them what life lived by the presence of the 
and the power of the Holy Spirit, which was yet to come. See, in verse 14, Jesus started, he laid out a promise to them. He promised to send another helper, capital A, capital H, and in some versions, advocate, capital A. Capital because it was him. Another helper, one just like him. He was telling them, I'm leaving. I'm going to send somebody just like me, and he's going to dwell in you. It's going to be like rivers of living water flowing out. See the difference? Like rivers of living water flowing out. So I started thinking about a river. So a river flows, right? It's got a current. It moves. It's constant. If it wasn't moving, it'd be a lake or a pond or a puddle. A river's moving. It's just constant supply, right? Constant. This river that Jesus is talking about is what we need. This river is what our world needs desperately right now. This river would be just like an ice cold cup of water on a hot day to the world that's wandering, right? The world can't find their way. So let's look at some signs of spiritual thirst. Ironically, we can read the signs of physical thirst and they almost kind of seem to go together. Fatigue, dizziness, decreased alertness or a decreased ability to focus. Disorientation can make you irritable, cranky, or anxious. There's a lot of that going on in our world right now, right? There's a lot of crankiness. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of anxiousness. Those are signs of physical thirst, but aren't they signs of spiritual thirst too? What is it really? It's hopelessness. World people without hope, that's how they feel, right? It's emptiness. It's being lost, needing direction, or just trying to find meaning in life. We live in a really, really thirsty world. A world that thirsts so bad, our tendency is to try to satisfy that thirst with who knows what. And sometimes those things end up making us thirstier. sort of like a water pitcher. I was going to bring this. I was going to bring a table and a pitcher and a glass of water. And I said, you guys aren't middle schoolers. You don't need those analogies. You don't need those visual illustrations, but it would have been kind of cool. But it's almost like a water pitcher and a glass. And yeah, we can fill that glass up with water and we drink it, right? Quenches our thirst. What Jesus was talking about here, this river of living water flowing out from us is like taking the glass and just pouring and pouring until it comes out all over everything. It's what Jesus has called us to do is be refreshment, refreshing to a dry and thirsty world, guys, right? They're all around us. You see them every day. It's easy to not see it from that point of view, but if we see it from God's eyes, they're just thirsty. They just need a drink. I want to tell a little story. First of all, Jesus knows us intimately, just like the woman at the well. 
He knows our every need. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Look at your hands. Look at them. You got fingerprints that are just yours. They're nobody else's. They're just yours, right? I look at my hands and I'm thinking, man, I can work and I can, I can scrape my fingers. I can cut my fingers or whatever, but fingerprints come back. It's amazing. Fingerprints are formed in the womb. Tiny fingers pressed against the pressure of the womb begins to form our individual fingerprints. If that's not an argument for creation, I don't know what is, right? So we've all individually, God knows us intimately. Our hands also tell a story, right? I shared this story with the middle schoolers. Our hands tell a story. If you look at them, I got, got some little nicks and cuts and some things like that, but I've got a scar right here. I don't know if you, got, you guys can't see that. Trust me, it's a scar. It was traumatic at the time. I was in, I don't know, grade school, eight, nine years old, right? Rained really hard at our house. Front dish was full of water. We loved to float stuff down the ditch, right? You know, simple toys, simple things, right? There's this bottle floating down the creek, floating down the ditch. And it got to the end of the culvert, like where the driveway was, and it got hung up there. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. My little sister was there with me, and I, I grabbed it. I'm thinking, I gotta get that out of there. I'm gonna, she'll pick, she'll pick it up and something bad will happen. I'm gonna protect her, right? So I grabbed that bottle and I start to run. Trip, fell in the bottle, cut my hand. So that's a story, right? Well, I know a guy that's got a way more meaningful scar than that. Way more meaningful. Chapter 19 of John. I'm going to tell you, I stuck this nail in my pocket this morning. Might be kind of similar to a nail that pierced Jesus' hands and feet. I don't know. But I stuck it in my pocket to remind myself it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do and what he wants to do in your life. Whether it's salvation for the very first time, whether it's just a new, refreshed look at God's provision, whatever it is. So I stuck that in my pocket to remind myself. In John 19, verse 28. Actually, in verse 29, we all know. How many of you know what were the last words that Jesus spoke? Say it out loud if you want. It is finished, right? Do you know what the second to last words were? Middle schoolers do. I thirst. I believe he said it with intensity. I thirst. Why? He hung on that cross and he took every one of our sins. Every one of them. He bore them all. He carried them. He hung there with them. It dried him up, guys. It dried him up. For that moment, he thirst in a way that we'll never be able to to understand or imagine. I believe he would tell us this morning, don't make that not count. Don't make that not count. 
So the question is, what are you thirsty for? What is it? If you've not given your life to Jesus and you're here this morning, do it today. Do it right now. There's no reason not to. If you have, and you've just been settling in and realizing this morning that you have so much to be thankful for, God's provision is so good, and we're so lucky, maybe that's what it is. Maybe you have someone in your life that needs a cold drink. Will you stand in the gap for them? Maybe you just remembered of God's goodness. So I'm going to wrap it up before we pray. I'm going to read the passage or verses out of the song that we're getting ready to sing, which is the song we sang earlier. Look where I'm standing now. I stand on the chain-breaking, miracle-making, powerful name of Jesus. On the body-raising, prodigal-saving, powerful name of Jesus. Alleluia. I'm free. Jesus, my Savior, rescued me. Hallelujah. I'm free. The woman at the well dropped everything she was doing when she knew God was speaking to her in the form of Jesus standing right in front of her. If God's speaking to you now, drop everything. Meet him. Come meet him. Jesus never refused anyone. You can go through the whole New Testament of his encounters. He never refused anyone that came to him. His arms were open, always. If he's speaking, drop everything.